it turns up being a joke, and that's what the CFBB really has been in a, in a sick, sad kind of way. Some of us like to get rid of it. Well, get rid of it, run it, whatever, Mr. Mulvaney. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest and China Lake, up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV, in Washington, D.C. on 105.5 and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us. We are live in studio today in the uh, beautiful studios of KPFK, somewhere in North Hollywood, I think, is where we are. And welcome back to reality. Hope you had a delightful and peaceful and restful Thanksgiving because... Well, frankly, uh, this month, uh, as bad as this year has been, this month, while the rest of November and through the end of the year in December, could prove to be the most hellish yet in the Trump era. I hope I am wrong. But uh, if what happened over the holiday weekend and into today is any indication, things are still going to get worse before they get better by a long shot. We will speak momentarily about what seems to be an unprecedented power struggle or turf war, turf battle going on at a federal agency between the White House and, uh, frankly, the rule of law itself. Uh, All of that before an epic fight over tax cuts coming up for the wealthy this week that Republicans are desperate to pass quickly and for good reason. I hope we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Plus, Republicans and Democrats We'll have to agree on a budget to keep the government open, a measure to increase the debt ceiling to avoid government default, and somehow maybe a way to protect millions of dreamers, immigrants who came here as young children, uh, how to protect them from being deported since Trump reversed Obama's executive order protecting them. Uh, All of that, in theory, is supposed to happen by the end of the year. All of that and more. So good luck. Because there is a lot more going on as well. But hey, uh, one show at a time. Am I right, Desi Doyen? 
Yes, <laughs> I know. I know you're busy. That's all right. Keep going. Uh, there's. Uh, I'll also try to open up the phones, by the way, for your calls on all of this today, if time allows, at 818-985-5735. That's our phone number, 818-985-5735. If you want to get in line early and hang on and uh, and wait and uh, force me to cover something completely different than I had planned. That's fine, too. Give us a call. Uh, all right. Um, but let me start here today. Regulatory capture. <laughs> Wikipedia defines that phrase as a form of government failure that occurs when a regulatory agency created to act in the public interest instead advances the commercial or political concerns of special interest groups that dominate the industry or sector that it is charged with regulating. Well, what happened over the weekend, uh, beginning late on Friday, resulting in a federal lawsuit filed in a Washington, D.C. court late on Sunday, followed by chaos at a federal agency first thing Monday morning, that seems to me, at least, to illustrate the idea of regulatory capture in the Trump era perfectly and about as aggressively as we have seen from this already very aggressive administration. As David Sirota reports today at International Business Times, Amid widespread charges that his administration is plagued by conflicts of interest, President Donald Trump is attempting to install a new Consumer Financial Protection Bureau chief linked to a lobbyist for a bank currently facing the prospect of major CFPB sanctions. According to a review of federal records, the uh, CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, is also right now responsible for enforcing a separate set of sanctions against the same bank. Trump is trying to install former lawmaker and White House Budget Director Mick Mulvaney to head the CFPB after the resignation of its former chief, Obama appointee Richard Cordray, on Friday. Federal records show Mulvaney's longtime staffer, is a woman by the name of Nat Natalie Binkholder, who left Mulvaney's office to work as a top lobbyist for Santander, a major bank. Binkholder worked for Mulvaney until 2017, ultimately serving as his chief of staff in the U.S. House, until Mulvaney left to become the head of the White House Office of Mud Management and Budget, or OMB. The links between the bank Santander and Mulvaney's former top aide could be relevant to a major case currently before the CFPB. Under the direction of Obama holdover officials, the CFPB was preparing to sue Santander over allegations that it overcharged consumers on auto loans. But the agency could still back off they could back off, drop the case entirely if Trump is able to successfully install Mulvaney over Cordray's deputy, Obama holdover, Leandra English. If Mulvaney assumes control of the agency, as he has today, he would also be in a position to influence, uh, to influence the, the enforcement of a consent order requiring Santander to reform its marketing practices. That 2016 consent order saw the CFPB fine Santander $10 million for illegal overdraft service practices. And remember now, Trump has pledged to rein in the CFPB. Over the weekend, after, after Trump controversially declared Mulvaney as the acting director of the CFPB, this was on Friday night, 
even though uh, the Dodd-Frank law that created the CFPB after the 2008 global economic meltdown to protect customers from fraudulent practices by Wall Street banks and others, um, that, that law specifically details that the deputy director of the bureau is to become the acting director in the case of a vacancy. And that vacancy occurred when Obama's appointee, Cordray, left on Friday, uh, Friday evening. Over the weekend, Trump tweeted, quote, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau or CFPB has been a total disaster as run by the previous administration's pick. Financial institutions have been devastated and unable to properly serve the public. We will bring it back to life, said Trump. By bringing it back to life, apparently he means appointing Mulvaney, uh, who previously called the CFPB a sad, sick joke. And he has vowed to kill it entirely. And who happens? uh, He happens to have been the boss of that lobbyist for that big bank that is potentially about to be sued by the agency that Mulvaney will now head. Regulatory capture. When the uh, former Obama-appointed director, Richard Cordray, resigned on Friday night, he's expected to run for governor in Ohio in 2018, he named his chief of staff, Leandra English, as deputy director, which means she becomes acting director of the independent executive agency, at least according to the law, at least according to the law, one of two laws that may control here. Hours later... Uh, Trump had named Mulvaney to become the acting director with his um, Office of Legal Counsel, with the White House Office of Legal Counsel, citing a 1998 law called the Federal Vacancies Reform Act. And the OLC said that the president can fill that vacancy, even though that same law seems to say that federal agencies like the CFPB which have specific statutes that specify how succession is supposed to happen in order to fill in order to fill vacancies, um, that that should uh, that 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 should take precedent over that federal 1998 statute. Yes, I know it's all really confusing, and I hope my guest here shortly will be able to clear us up, uh, because on Monday Mulvaney showed up at the CFPB with donuts reportedly, and instructed the agency's 1,600 employees to ignore any directives from English, who, in theory, should be the acting director. So now we have two acting directors of the CFPB. Now, English filed suit on Sunday night against Trump and Mulvaney, who she describes in the uh, in the lawsuit as, quote, the person claiming to be the acting director of the CFPB. And the result seems to be absolute chaos today. So hopefully helping us to sort out some of this chaos is someone who has been warning about this potential mess now uh, for at least the past week or so before most of us noticed it at all. Adam Levitin is a professor of law at Georgetown University. He specializes in bankruptcy, commercial law and financial regulation with a focus on consumer and housing finance payments and debt restructuring. He previously served as the Bruce Nichols Visiting Professor of Law at Harvard Law School, as the Robert Zinman Scholar-in-Residence at the American Bankruptcy Institute, uh, and on the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, yes, the CFPB's Consumer Advisory Board. He's been blogging up a storm about all of this at creditslips.org of late. Professor Adam Leventon, welcome to the broadcast, sir. 
Oh, happy to be here. Really glad to have you here. This is a mess. Uh, I have it's been an utter mess. <laughs> uh, it, it's unbelievable. I have been reading a f- just a flurry of stories, yours and many others, legal explanations about all of this. I want to get into the specifics of what is actually going on here momentarily. But I've been trying to understand if this is simply a, uh, you know, a turf war, a partisan food fight, uh, or if this is really important on a number on a number of levels. So if we could start in hopes of avoiding too many weeds here. Uh, maybe too late, but let me uh, let me no, get. No, to no. S- I, I think that, I think this is possible to to to. to it's, there's there's two levels on which this is happening. Uh, before you there's tell political- before you tell me that w- the levels on which this is happening, Adam. Let me ask you this: the CFPB. It's a very new federal agency. It was established in 2011. What is it supposed to do? Just so people understand what's at stake here. The CFPB is supposed to enforce a a whole range of laws that are designed to protect consumers from being cheated, defrauded, and otherwise um, mistreated by financial institutions. And it was just put in after the meltdown, right? So this is a very new agency. Absolutely, and it it was this was Congress's response to the to the mortgage meltdown. Mm -hmm. Congress uh, saw that the existing federal bank regulators really didn't do a very good job on consumer financial protection, and that was because they were tasked with two different missions. On the one hand, they were told, make sure the banks are, are solvent, mm-hmm. which, and to be solvent, a bank has to make money, and one way you can make money is through sharp practices that take advantage of consumers. And then on the other hand, they were told, look out for consumers. And having those two missions in the same agency didn't work real well, mm-hmm. because what, 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 always, what inevitably happened was that the consumer protection mission got subordinated to the bank profitability mission. Mm-hmm. And Congress realized that that setup didn't work real well, so it needed to take consumer financial protection out of the banking regulators and stick it in an agency which would have one task and one task only, and that's to look out for consumers. And this is what uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, before she became a senator, she helped to set this thing up. She might have uh, headed this agency uh, had she not become, uh, uh, had, had so many Republicans, I guess, uh, decided they hated Elizabeth Warren. That's when Richard Cordray was put in. Uh, he has been serving for the last, uh, what are we, six years here, which brings us up to his resignation on Friday. And all of this confusion that you professor say can be explained easily please please proceed (laughs) (laughs) i'm not sure so easily but here's why this here's what's going on all right the there's no question that donald trump can eventually put in his own person at the cfpb that's he absolutely has that right the right to do Mm -hmm. that under the constitution however the constitution says if he wants to put if he wants to put someone in he's got to get that person either approved by the senate or do a recess appointment. Mm-hmm. There's two ways to do it. And if he wants to do a recess appointment, the Senate actually has to take a recess, which <laughs> Senator McConnell may not want to do for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. So there are two ways Donald Trump can get, someone, can get someone into the CFPB. And once he gets someone in, if they're confirmed, they serve a five-year term. What Donald Trump is trying to do is to game the system. He's trying to do a third thing. He's trying to get someone, he's trying to put in Mick Mulvaney right now as an acting director, and Mulvaney can serve consecutive seven-month terms as acting director, and Trump can basically run the clock for a while. Mm-hmm. And then right at the end of his administration, hopefully there will only be one, uh, <laughs> right at the end of the, the Trump presidency, he can uh, nominate and, may, and potentially confirm someone else so that Trump would not just get five years of a CFPB director, 
he might be able to get something more like nine years. Mm. So just to make sure I understand this, he can appoint, or at least this is the argument the White House is making, that he can appoint someone as acting director. They don't have to go through the Senate uh, confirmation process that any uh, that a permanent director would have to. And he can basically keep that acting director in there for, uh, you say, uh, I think up, up to 21 months in that role? It- uh, it's two hundred. I think it's two hundred seventy days or okay. something, uh, and then then he has to reappoint them. Now, why can't? Uh, but but then there's this other statute that created the Dodd Frank law that created the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau in the first place, which specifies exactly how uh, the succession is supposed to happen. That if there is a vacancy at the top, in this case, Cordray left, that. Cordray's deputy becomes the acting director, and that's what uh, that's what Cordray is arguing, and I guess that's what the acting, uh, well, the, the deputy, Leandra English, who is supposed to be the uh, acting director, that's what she's now arguing in her lawsuit, correct? That's right. So the, the, the Dodd-Frank Act says that in the event that the CFPB director is absent or unavailable, the deputy director shall, and the, the word shall is important here, that's a strong word in, in a mm-hmm. law, uh, the deputy director shall become the acting director. Mm-hmm. So we have an early we have an earlier law, the Vacancies Act, which says that the president that in the event of a vacancy, the president can uh, name name someone who's been confirmed by the Senate to any other position. So mm-hmm. it could be the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, or the ambassador to Luxembourg, mm-hmm. or the Surgeon General. Right. He can anyone who's been a, a nom- who's been Senate confirmed to any position can be put in. Under the Vacancies Act, and Mulvaney was Mulvaney was confirmed already uh, as the director of the Office of Management and Budget, right? That's that's right. Okay, but but the Vacancies Act says something else. It says that it it the Vacancies Act says it applies unless another statute says that it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And also, and the Consumer Financial Protection Act says it doesn't. It says it it specifies a different order of succession, and it's not it's not a uh, discretionary order of succession, it's mandatory mm-hmm. it's that the deputy director shall become the acting director. Now, the Trump administration has a more clever argument than just, you know, st- statute one applies rather than statute two. Mm-hmm. Instead, they don't, the Trump administration has basically conceded that the Consumer Financial Protection Act creates an exception to the, uh, Dodd-Frank, that is, creates an exception to the Vacancies Act. Mm-hmm. But they say the Vacancies Act actually still exists as an alternative mechanism, so that the president can choose whether to follow one law or the other, rather than, one, uh, than the later law supplanting the, the earlier one. He can, choo- uh, he can choose which of those two competing laws, uh, theoretically competing, that he wants to honor. Exactly. And that, that's problematic, because the, um, when Congress was drafting the Dodd-Frank Act, mm-hmm. there were different bills that got passed in the House and Senate, and they had to reconcile those. Right. The House version of the bill was very clear. It said, the Vacancies Act shall apply. The Senate version has the current language saying, no, the deputy director shall become the, um, mm-hmm. the acting director. They went into conference committee, and when they came out, the language that that prevailed, and we don't know, you know, we don't know what kind of what exactly went on in that conference committee, but the language that prevailed was the Senate version. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the important takeaway from that is that Congress knew very, very well that there was an issue here, and for whatever reason, it chose to go with the 
uh, with a Senate version saying that the deputy director shall uh, uh, shall uh, serve as acting director. Now, one of the com- one of the complaints about this is, oh my gosh, this unelected director can appoint his successor. How how can this happen? This is totally incompatible with democracy. And the answer to that is nonsense. This is the, that if Donald Trump doesn't like having Leandra English as the acting director, mm-hmm. there's a very simple move for him. He can exercise his constitutional prerogative to nominate another director, get that director confirmed by the Senate, and then you know, the, five, the director's five-year term starts running. But Donald Trump wants to have his cake and eat it, too. Is it because he wants to have that extra time in there for the director or <clears throat> because he, would have, he feels he would have a problem getting through? I mean, could Mick Mulvaney be nominated as the permanent uh, director of the CFPB and actually get through the Senate confirmation process? Uh, potentially, I think he would have to give up his OMB hat, and there's there's a separate problem that's about Mulvaney himself there that we should talk about. But um, yeah, you're exactly right on this. Uh, there, there's one problem is that Trump doesn't want to start running the clock any sooner than he has to on mm-hmm. the five-year term. Mm-hmm. The second thing is that he's got to actually get someone confirmed, and yeah, they, you know, there are the Republican votes there are, are probably there for for confirmation, at least for someone who is not incredibly extreme. <laughs> right. But it's still going to be an embar- it's still going to be a high profile and potentially embarrassing confirmation process. Uh, uh, if you're if you're the if you're the man who brought us Trump University, yeah. you really want to have a lot of attention thrown on uh, consumer protection issues. So easier to just appoint someone under the vacancies uh, federal vacancies reform act and ignore the fact that years later after that. Federal Vacancies Reform Act was passed in 1998. Years later, Dodd-Frank said, this shall take precedence over that other law. This seems like um, not even a close call, Professor. Uh, And yet, it looks like Mulvaney was in there serving up donuts to the uh, agency today, telling everyone to ignore any orders they get from Leander English. She filed a lawsuit on Sunday night. And to make matters even more confusing... We now learn uh, today that apparently over the weekend, it's not just the White House Office of Legal Counsel who thinks Trump can do this, but the CFPB's lawyers themselves apparently issued a memo over the weekend saying that the president has the right to do this. So is that uh, is that case over now? The White House and the CFPB agree that the president can do this. It's all done. No, the, 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 the you know the, that an attorney who so. Um, the fact that an attorney who works for the government has an opinion about things doesn't determine what the law actually is. Okay. And uh, you know, and I should also mention the attorney who signed the uh, Office of Legal Counsel opinion letter mm-hmm. had until recently been representing a payday lender in um, litigation yep. against the CFPB. Yeah, more regulatory um, capture, by the way. Uh, check out David Day <laughs> and at, at the Intercept on that today. Yeah, there, there, yeah. there's a you know the the, the, swamp, the thickets in the swamp are yes are, are, are pretty intense. Yes. Um, <laughs> the the uh, you know you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. that uh, Mulvaney that Mulvaney has uh, there seem to be some conflicts of interest with, um, between Mulvaney's former uh, staffer right. and. Santander, which is one of the uh, target of a CFPB investigation. Mm-hmm. There's another problem with Mick Mulvaney, though. What's that? It's that by he's he's simultaneously serving uh, in a position 
at the White House and in an independent agency. And not just in any independent agency, but in an independent agency whose rules have to get reviewed by the Office of Management and Budget. There are only three agencies that fit that bill. The CFPB is one. So any rules that Mulvaney wants to promulgate at the CFPB would get reviewed in the first instance by Mick Mulvaney wearing uh, the OMB hat. Uh, that, that seems to offend any kind of notion of separation of powers. Well, yeah, we would think, uh, but apparently, but, there, but it, it's not unlawful, is it? Is it illegal? Do, is no, there any statute it, that would prevent it? It's not clear. I mean, it, it would have, I think the, if there's a legal problem, it's some kind of constitutional violation of separation of powers. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any examples where we've had someone serving in a cabinet-level position who is also simultaneously serving um, in an independent agency. This would be like... Um, having the Treasury Secretary also be the chairman of the uh, Federal Reserve Board. Right. Well, when we call it an independent agency, because you know, this has come up recently, we were talking about the IRS or something. They're theoretically, they're an independent agency, but they're still an executive branch agency. What makes this, uh, what does it mean to be an independent agency? Because that seems to be where all of this is, uh, what, what all of this is really about, uh, the White House taking over an independent agency. Uh, first and foremost, it's about the president's ability to remove the head of the agency at will. If the president wants to fire the, the Treasury Secretary or the Secretary of State, he can do that, uh, he can do that immediately. Uh-huh. The, uh, the president cannot fire the head of the SEC, for example, or the FTC, just because he doesn't like them or he disagrees with their policies. Okay. Similarly, the, the same situation exists with the CFPB, that if the president wants to fire the CFPB director, it has to be for cause, and that would be neglect of duty or malfeasance. It's a pretty high threshold. Mm-hmm. So that an uh, in, in independent agency, kind of the, probably the leading characteristic is this limitation on presidential control. Okay. And so in order to uh, make it truly independent, I, you, you have this uh, a permanent director who has to go through this uh, process in the Senate, and that is what is being avoided. And essentially, the White House owns the CFPB at this point, it seems to me. And the director, the acting director, if he's allowed to stay in control, can do anything he wants uh, on, on behalf of the White House. And this is a guy I played at the uh, top of the show. I don't know that we had you online yet, Adam, where he uh, where Mulvaney calls the calls this agency that he is now heading theoretically as the acting director uh, a sick, sad joke. He has wanted to to get rid of the CFPB for years, correct? Yeah, and I've got to say, I don't really understand what, what, what about consumer protection is a sick, sad joke. I mean, that, that takes a certain kind of warped individual to have that view. Um, the, uh, I, I, what I fear will happen if, if Mick Mulvaney is able to uh, retain control of the CFPB is that, he's going, is that the agency is going to wither, sort of the way the State Department has under Rex Tillerson. Mm. That positions will not be filled. Mm-hmm. The uh, all of the every report on the website will disappear. The consumer complaint database, which is publicly available, has over a million complaints, which um, you know the CFPB is able to get, has been able to get some kind of resolution on almost all of those. That that will cease being cease to be public. Um, and you know, of course, I, I, I would expect that enforcement actions will pretty much cease. So that, yes, there will be an agency that exists on paper, and it will do absolutely nothing. 
Where and then, is and then, and then in, and then after the next time we have an, another financial crisis, mm-hmm. Republicans are going to turn around and say, you know, the problem here is that government is that government failed. Government didn't do anything. <laughs> right. So let's get rid of government. You were on uh, the CFPB uh, as an, an advisory member. Are you still on that advisory board, by the way? No, I'm not. Okay. Uh, my term ended in, I guess, 20, uh, 2015. There, the, and that, that advisory board, I should, I should hasten to say, included a, a real range of individuals, including the, the head of one of the largest payday lenders in the U.S. Oh, boy. So it was already... I know there was already problems with the CFPB as it was. The, the, the Republicans have been trying to keep it as ineffective as possible. But it was doing something that could all go away now if this uh, if this federal court doesn't find. I mean, it seems like a cut and dry. I'm not an attorney, uh, Adam, but it seems like a very cut and dry case. Uh, Leandra English should be the acting director. She had to file the suit on Sunday. What happens now? I'm almost surprised that the uh, uh, that the, the federal court here didn't make some sort of uh, temporary injunction to settle this. It may yeah. still. That I, I, I think that we'll probably know about that tomorrow. Okay. Um, the uh, I said uh, Leandra English, I think, had may have had the unfortunate luck to draw a uh, one of uh, two newly appointed Trump uh, mm. newly uh, Trump nominees for the DC sir, uh, DC court um, uh, district court. Right. So she had, this is a, this is pretty much a rookie judge, a guy who's been on the bench since September. He's being hand uh, and. You know, I don't. I can't say I know much about him, mm-hmm. but um, I can't imagine that it, it is heartening for Leandra English to know that it's a Trump nominee. Well, no worries. Uh, she can always appeal it all the way up to the stolen U.S. Supreme Court, and uh, that'll work out <laughs> equally as well. Uh, that that uh, Donald Trump has packed with his own folks at this point. What a mess. Uh, Adam Levitin, I really appreciate your work on this. It's been very helpful to read your work over at creditslips.org. I want to point folks over there uh, where Adam has been covering this. He was very early on to sort of uh, set up a a red flag about what was about to happen, and it looks like it has. So, uh, Professor, I hope you'll not mind if we stay in touch with you as this moves forward so you can help us understand what the hell is actually going on here. I'd be happy to. By the way, is there, before I let you go, is this unprecedented? Have we, have we ever had a situation like this, to your knowledge? Uh, the closest thing I can think of is Bush v. Gore, right? Oh, brother. Where, um, but uh, for, an, for just a federal, for two different people claiming a federal office, I can't think of any situation like this in modern times. Um, that I, I suspect if, you know, that if one digs around in the 19th century, there's probably some, some shady incident there. <laughs> Otherwise, though, this seems like it's something out of Game of Thrones where there are multiple contenders uh, for, for the same throne. It, it sure does. Uh, Adam Leventon, professor of law at Georgetown University. Check out his work at creditslips.org. And you should follow him on the Twitters at Adam Leviton. Really appreciate you joining us here today, Professor. Oh, happy to do so. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too. All right, a quick break, and we'll come back with, uh, I know we got some callers who want to talk about this. 818-985-5735 is our phone number, 818-985-KPFK. Uh, we've got uh, that and uh, some other news you need to know about this week and some other disturbing news uh, related to all of it. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Don't go away.
Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Time Magazine, Time Inc. got sold over the weekend. Did you hear who bought it? Tell you about it in just one second. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. Uh, you got thoughts on uh, the CFPB uh, and, and this Game of Thrones as Professor... Levitin described what's going on there. Our phone number is 818-985-5735. Let me take a quick call before I get to Time Magazine. Uh, Mike in L.A. Hey, Mike, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, Brad, Desi and all. Uh, you know, I know this may appear to a lot of people who are afflicted by common sense as being just one more impeachable offense by Mr. Trump, but I think it's not really his fault. Some aide read uh, high points of the Constitution to him, <laughs> And he took the phrase about the president shall take care that the laws are faithfully executed to mean as by lethal injection of Mulvaney. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, no, that's uh, hopefully not going to happen. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I don't think he I don't even know if uh, he has any clue. Uh, what happened? I think his, his the Office of uh, uh, Legal Counsel at the White House said, yes, you can do this, Mr. President. So they did it. And that's all he cares about. They told him it was okay, and and he's doing it. Impeachable, I don't know, but I take your point. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate the call. Let me go to uh, Lynette very quickly in L.A. Hey, Lynette, welcome. Oh, did I screw up? Uh, did I, Lynette, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, Brad. Thanks for taking my call. And sure. And happy holidays to you and yours. Thank you, and to and you. Thank you. Um, we have to understand that we are in a class warfare uh, situation here with the Trump administration. Uh, you know, we just had, what was it, H.J. Resolution 111, which had to go uh, to the issue of forced arbitration of consumers rather than them having their right to their mm -hmm. day in court. Yep. That uh, Trump signed December the 1st, okay? Yep. And they have an agenda that is pro-deregulation and privatization, the very things that brought us to the 2008 uh, crash. And what we have to do is make them pump the brakes and start divesting, you know, uh, from everything Trump. Uh, there's a website called DivestTrumpSoho.org, which is uh, for CalPERS uh, pension funders to take their monies out of uh, Trump hotels, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We can start there. And then, of course, the emoluments clause is that he's in violation of. You know, it, it, it really goes to the heart of there's an assault going on still to, uh, to 
to put us all basically back to serfdom or something, or you know, I mean, really, I mean, yeah. uh, look at uh, this oligarchic uh, takeover. And God help us, we better be really up for the job and aware of these things and do everything that's in our power yep. in the courts and divestiture. You know, whatever we have to do to get our rights back, because they're just, within one year, he has managed to not only put us at odds with North Korea, okay? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we're we're not financially going to be better in the future, nor are our children. And I also heard that Betsy DeVos, uh, who uh the education secretary, she has a debt collection service. Her family has a debt collection service for student loans yep. that are not paid. So this uh, FPB goes to the heart of student loan debt. You know, we have a student loan bubble. Yeah, we do, and we can, and and now they can just, uh, if Mick Mulvaney is allowed to stay in control of that agency, that might otherwise uh, uh, prosecute in some fashion, uh, or sue, or stop, or block Betsy DeVos's uh, family company on student loans. Well. Mm, they won't do that anymore with Mick Mulvaney in charge. Lynette, I appreciate it. This is the hen house. Oh, it totally is. It is totally is, and it's way worse, I think, than people understand it. And it has been way worse for many years than people understand it. Uh, and only now, I think, the media, maybe the corporate media, is starting to realize, oh, wait, something is going on here. But they are years too late. And it's remarkable to me. And and we're paying a big price for it now. I got a couple of stories I want to hit. Lynette, thanks. I appreciate thanks. those calls. Yeah. You're right on the money. Um, it's sort of to underscore what Lynette is saying here. A long chapter in media history came to an unlikely close on Sunday night with a sale agreement for Time, Inc., the publisher of once prestigious magazine titles like Time, Sports Illustrated, and People, the Meredith Corporation, the owner of Family Circle, Better Homes and Gardens, and uh, other family-type magazines like that, agreed to purchase Time, Inc. in an all-cash transaction valued at nearly $3 billion. Now, uh, Iowa-based Meredith Corp. also owns 17 local TV stations that reach 12 million U.S. households. So now they own all of those magazines, all of Time, Inc.'s magazines. They own 17 television stations around the country. But here may be uh, the most uh, troubling part. The, uh, the deal was made possible in part by an infusion of $650 million dollars from the private equity firm, uh, private equity arm of Charles and David Koch. That's right, the billionaire Koch brothers, known for using their wealth and political connections to advance conservative, so-called conservative causes. The Koch brothers now essentially own Time magazine. Meredith's president, chief operating officer Tom Hardy, said this is a transformative transaction for Meredith Corp. Charles Koch, the chief executive of Koch Industries, and David Koch have long sought to shape political discourse through their support of nonprofit organizations, the New York Times uh, notes, uh, through nonprofits, through universities, through think tanks. But in the announcement of the deal, Meredith said that the private equity fund Coke Equity Development would not have a seat on Meredith's board of directors and would have no influence over Meredith's editorial or managerial operations. Do you believe that? Do you buy that? 
The Koch brothers bought uh, Time magazine for $650 million, but they're going to have no editorial control over it whatsoever. I think I seem to remember Rupert Murdoch uh, and saying something similar when they bought the Wall Street Journal. And you've seen how that has changed over the past, I don't know how many years. Um the the uh, spokesman for Coke Industries said the Cokes have no plans to take an active role in the expanded company. And they're just looking, they say, quote, we're looking at deals across all sectors, all industries. This just happened to be one that made sense. The deal is expected to close in the first quarter of 2018, just in time for the midterm elections next year. Now, looking at uh, Meredith's press release on this late last night, the president and chief operating officer uh, said uh, this is a transformative transaction for Meredith Corp and follows a fiscal 2017 year in which we posted the highest revenue, profit and earnings per share in our 115 year history. So in fiscal 2017, they made earnings and profits higher than ever in their 115-year history of, of, of being in existence. And they also say when you combine our strong local t- television business, which has grown operating profit 15% annually over the last five years with the trusted multi-platform uh, content creation of Meredith and Time, it creates a powerful media uh, company serving consumers and advertisers alike. I might say serving advertisers, not so much consumers, but in any event, we now have a new huge Multimedia operation that is essentially at least owned in part by the Koch brothers. But this company has been making money, huge money, huge profits year after year after year. So does that sound like a company that needs a huge permanent corporate tax break of the kind that the Republicans are furiously trying to push through the Senate this week? And in doing so at the expense of the middle class, which, as the experts have been saying uh, on this uh, on this show and everywhere else, that the middle class, the middle low and middle income Americans will actually end up with a tax increase instead of the tax cuts that Republicans are pretending that they're giving to everyone. Instead, they're giving huge tax cuts to companies like Meredith and like the Koch brothers these huge corporations who are making out like crazy in this economy, despite Republicans and the president uh, pretending otherwise, pretending that we've got to give a tax break to these huge corporations who year after year after year have been making huge profits. What did Meredith say? Uh, They've grown their operating profit 15 percent annually over each of the last five years. And yet... They really want to get this tax cut through, and they are desperate to do that, and they are going to do it. They're going to do it now. They are doing it this week. On, on, uh, on Sunday, Trump uh, said that the—he uh, the, uh, said back in D.C., he tweeted, of course, back in D.C., big week for tax cuts and many other things of great importance to our country. Senate Republicans will hopefully come through for all of us. The tax cut bill is getting— Better and better. The end result will be great for all, Trump tweeted. It's not going to be great for all. Yes, it will be great for the Koch brothers. Yes, it will be great for uh, Meredith Inc. Uh, But for you, for me... 
for the middle class in America, this thing is going to cost, uh, it's going to raise your taxes. That's all. It's going to raise your taxes and let everyone else, the rich people, have these huge tax cuts. And then when uh, revenue goes down to the the federal government, we're all going to say, Uh, Or Republicans are all going to say, well, we've got to cut Medicare. We've got to cut Medicaid. We've got to cut social services. God forbid we cut something in the military. Uh, You know, it's people, the the people who are uh, uh, sucking off the government teat with Medicaid and Medicare and Social Security. That's what we have to cut. That's how this works. That is what will happen, not may happen. That is what will happen. That is the plan. And it's all happening this week. Andy Slavitt, uh, who ran uh, Medicare and Medicaid and, and the Affordable Care Act for President Obama, uh, offered a, a Twitter thread at the end of uh, late last week, over the holiday, I guess, um, is saying that uh, next week, he was talking about this week, is the most important week for the GOP tax bill. He says, on Wednesday, Mitch McConnell, majority leader, plans to bring this tax bill to the floor using the same techniques as with health care. Basically limiting debate, limiting amendments. They're going to try to ram it through. The goal is to have a vote by the end of this week on Friday or Saturday of this week. A week from now, we could have a bill out of each house. The House has already passed this. Now it's all up up to the Senate. There could be a, a, a bill out of each house ready to reconcile between them. Uh, Slavitt says the next hurdle would be likely to go to a conference to reconcile the House and Senate bills. If that happens, then the final bill goes back to both houses for one final vote. And McConnell wants that bill to be back for a final Senate vote for tax cuts, permanent tax cuts for these corporations, temporary tax cuts for people like you and me, but permanent tax cuts. He wants a bill, uh, final vote on this bill, reconciled between the House and Senate by December 20. Slavitt points out that that is a critical date for the tax bill for simple reasons. That is when the new Alabama senator, whoever it is going to be, is expected to be seated on December 20. That's right. McConnell knows that it's possible that Republicans could lose their Senate seat in Alabama on December 12 when accused child molester and Republican nominee for the U.S. Senate Roy Moore who's supported, endorsed by Donald Trump, even after those allegations, uh, he finally faces off against the Democratic former U.S. attorney Doug Jones on December 12. And so he would then be seated by December 20. So what, what they had been rushing before, they are even rushing harder now to pass before their current 52 to 48 Senate majority potentially gets even smaller it goes to a 51-49 majority if the uh, Democrat Doug Jones wins that. At that point, they'd be able to afford to lose only two vo- votes on the Republican side. So this week, as Slavitt notes, every Republican senator would like to pass some bill, but the challenge is they can only afford to lose two uh, t- two votes on this. If they lose three, that's it. They're out of luck. And do I have those numbers right? 52 puts it to 49. And that's right. Yes, you you have that correct. And remember, you know, this is going to affect everybody immediately, too, because if it goes through, as I understand it, it's going to cause immediate cuts to Medicare. To Medicare. Twenty five billion dollars. That's right. Gone. That's right.
Slavit points out that uh, Susan Collins uh, is concerned. Oh, yeah, the Affordable Care Act. They are they're killing the mandate, the tax mandate that is going to end up costing 30. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, 13 million Americans to lose health care over the next 10 years if the Affordable Care Act mandate is left in this bill to remove that mandate. So Susan Collins of Maine, she's concerned about that. Ron Johnson of Wisconsin has said, uh, Republican of Wisconsin says he will vote against this because it doesn't do enough to help small businesses and corporations. Uh, Senators uh, Jerry Moran is concerned about the debt impact. Yes, this is going to be $1.4 trillion. Uh, add that deficit to the, uh, uh, to, the, to the current federal deficit over the next 10 years. Republicans like to pretend they're against deficits. No, they're not. One, $1.5 trillion is what is go- it's going to be increased at this point. So McConnell needs a bill that can only lose two senators. It can't lose three. So they've got to get this through uh, before potentially a Democrat wins that Republican seat from Alabama. So, so this is all happening now. It is all happening now. It is all happening quickly. Slavit points out that under this scenario, uh, 87 million 87 million households will see a tax increase if the bill passes as it's currently structured. $40 billion will be transferred from the poor to the rich. Remember when Republicans used to also pretend that they were against wealth redistribution? I guess not. Not when they're re- it depends which direction, I guess, they're uh, redistributing. $13 million will be losing health care coverage. So... Um, This needs to happen uh, this week. They know it. And that's why if you have an opinion on this bill, now is the time to call Congress right now, this week. Don't wait for the reconciliation. Call them now. You can call Congress. You can call your uh, your House members and specifically right now your senators at 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. That's happening right now. Hope you wrote wrote that down. You can also uh, write down our number. I don't know if we have time or not, but uh, our uh, phone number, my phone number here, if you want to get in on any of this with any thoughts, 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. Uh, if you'd like to talk about any of this, Des, you say, don't wait until after they cut your grandparents' Medicare. That's a depressing thought. Uh, all right. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Quick break. And we're back with, uh, well, what Donald Trump said today at the White House. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Oh. 
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, Des, I, I, I guess I should have you, uh, Desi Do I didn't even get to say hello to you today, Des. Hi, Des. <laughs> hey, I am um, here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the... I get you know just before air uh, this this happened and you were able to grab the audio from this. Uh, Trump was honoring a group of Native American code talkers uh, at the White House. He was giving a, a somber speech. These are the uh, the heroes. Can you explain what what the code talkers? Yes. Why, why it's so important? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So during World War II, in order to prevent uh, the enemy from being able to intercept communications for the U.S. military, they used a, a language that no one else would have access to: the Navajo language. And so they hired Navajo tribesmen to actually uh, transmit these secret coded messages, and it worked. And so since we were talking about the Consumer Finance uh, Protection Bureau earlier, CFPB earlier, uh, which was set up by Elizabeth Warren before she became senator, it sort of ties everything together here. And the idea that uh, Donald Trump hates not only the CFPB, but also now Senator Elizabeth Warren. I don't know if he hates her. I think he's scared to death of her. Uh, he has a, a terrible racist nickname that he uses for her. And there he was today in the White House in front of the Navajo yes, was, that he was this honoring. This was a ceremony to honor the last surviving Navajo code talkers in the White House. And here's what Donald Trump had to say. You have very, very special people. You were here long before any of us were here. Although we have a representative in Congress who they say was here a long time ago. They call her Pocahontas. But you know what? I like you because you are special. No, <laughs> they don't call her Pocahontas, Mr. No. President. You call her Pocahontas. And it's, uh, yeah. And that is a racial slur. Now, you, Desi Doyen, if anyone has seen you, you're a, a lovely uh, a blonde a woman who uh, does not look like you may, may be Native American, which is what they say about uh, Elizabeth Warren. Right. But, but I am I am descended from Native American, from the Cherokee tribe, as Elizabeth Warren has also mm -hmm. said. However, in my family, we have actual physical paper documentation of it. So we can prove it. Unlike Senator Warren and unlike most Americans with Native American heritage, they cannot prove it because little documentation remains after the genocide of Native Americans. So she responded to this uh, to this uh, comment today uh, on uh, I think this is an MSNBC with Ali Velshi shortly after Donald Trump and and by the way uh, they didn't laugh the, the the when he made that joke about oh, Pocahontas no. the code they, talkers they look mostly stunned like I did he really say what I think he just said here's Elizabeth Warren in response uh, Senator do you have any response to that you know. This was supposed to be an event to honor heroes, people who put it all on the line for our country, and people who, because of their incredible work, saved the lives of countless Americans and our allies. It is deeply unfortunate that the President of the United States cannot even make it through a ceremony honoring these heroes without having to throw out a racial slur. Look, Donald Trump does this over and over, thinking somehow he's going to shut me up with it. It hadn't worked in the past. It is not going to work in the future. So, 
<laughs> I, I, I don't even know what to say. At well, that point. I'll tell you what, the uh, the National Congress of yeah. American Indians president, Jefferson Keel, he had something to oh. say. He issued a statement today saying, quote, we regret that the president's use of the name Pocahontas as a slur to insult a political adversary is overshadowing the true purpose of today's White House ceremony. We call upon the president to refrain from using her name in a way that denigrates her legacy. And is he going to refrain from doing that? Oh, I doubt it. Of I mean, course they not. don't even con- he doesn't consider it to be a slur, but the fact that it is used to denigrate somebody is proof that it is a slur. Uh, apparently, he also called um, his uh, his uh, chief of staff, uh, General John Kelly, um, the chief. He said, "General, how how I uh, general how good here he is right here the chief. He's the general and the chief." I said, "How good were these code talkers?" So he was trying to, I guess, make a joke that... uh... Well, that's, I think, what they're trying to make it sound like. But, I mean, we know lots of people who make very racially charged jokes. It doesn't make it okay. Nope. But that's where we are. Uh, Indeed, that is where we are. And that's why the resistance, you know, before we took a break for the holiday... Uh, we had nothing but, I don't want to say good news, but news to be thankful for. Things things to be thankful for, even though each one of those things had something that was troubling and disturbing about it. You can go back and listen to our, our previous show uh, at bradblog.com. You can download it there for free anytime. Um, that was a, a one-day respite. It seems like things are getting dark and ugly Again, and we are barely, we're not even to December, and this is going to get crazy. Yeah, I know, we got to get out. Did you have a. a, a no, I just, wanted? it just really makes me angry, okay. you know, that's all. <laughs> well, good. We need people to be angry because uh, right now we need the resistance. The resistance has been holding, has been holding in elections, has been holding, uh, keeping Congress, the Senate, from being able to take away everyone's health care. Uh, you can uh, continue holding, continue to uh, let the Senate know your thoughts, at least when it comes to these tax cuts. Their phone number, 202-224-3121. Write it down. You're going to need it a lot this month. All right, we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, uh, to our board operator today, Gary Baca. Thank you, sir. And to my guest, Professor Adam Levitin of Georgetown University. If you missed any portion of today's program... Or any other, as I said, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can uh, drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. That's it. Until we uh, meet again, which I hope will be tomorrow. Oh, we got a big show tomorrow. Wisconsin, pay attention tomorrow. Uh, until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.